Well, good morning, church. Will you stand with me today? I hope you brought some energy with you. It's about the students this Sunday. So we have Brad here to, uh, to preach today. We're excited about that. Let's sing it out. When dying is falling, when fear is coming, still you're calling me. When faith is lost and my hope exhausted, you will be my strength. When my mind says I'm not good enough, God, you're enough for me. I've decided I'm not giving up. You won't give up on me. You won't give up on me. I won't forget the wonder of how 
Amen. You can be seated. speaker here. My name is Isaac Belcher. You might have seen me on the slide up there. Uh, I'm a senior at Martha Lane Collins High School this year. I actually graduate a week from today, so that's exciting. Um, oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, so every week, you know, someone comes up here and talks about communion, but I think sometimes the message is still a little lost because I know for the longest time it was lost on me. I grew up in the church, I grew up in this church, and I was baptized at a relatively young age. And I think for a really long time, I, I knew why I was taking communion, but I really didn't know what it meant for me, what it meant for my life, and what it meant for my relationship with Jesus. Uh, one of my favorite communion verses is John six fifty three through 58. Um, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of this. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. And so I think today when you guys take the bread and you guys drink the juice, just remember that we're not only taking this communion as as remembrance for Jesus dying on the cross, but we're inviting him to live in our lives. We're inviting him to guide us through whatever journey we may take on. Uh, Please bear your heads and join me in prayer. Dear God, I just thank you for this day, and I thank you for all the people who have gathered here in your name. God, I just thank you for your son Jesus who you sent down. He was so perfect, and yet you sacrificed him for all of us, all of our sins. Even those who don't believe in you, God, you just, you loved us all and you sent your perfect son just to die for us. God, we invite you to just live in our lives and to take hold of our lives and to guide us and to use us in the ways that you desire and just to fulfill your great plan. In your name we pray, amen.
Yes, Lord. That when the world says no, Lord, you say yes, Father. So we thank you. And in every moment, God, in the moment of defeat, God, you were there and you're saying no. It's not over yet. We thank you for that today, Lord, that you are God of hope. And I pray for hope in this place today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone says, amen. You can be seated. Assembled. Hey, listen, I know I'm going to get emails, okay? It's okay. Send them all to Matt. Um, He can receive them all. Unless there were good ones like, dude, that took me back to high school. I would love to hear that. Can you guess what movie our family watched last night? Endgame Avengers. And if you're sitting beside me at home, Misty has to have her her hand on my leg because I'm I'm in the movie, man. I am in the movie. I've got the shield. I've got the hammer. My kids are looking at me like, Dad, you got to calm down. But church, we are going to war. And I want to know this morning, are you ready? So as I set down this shield, as I set down this hammer, I have the opportunity this morning on behalf of graduating seniors to be up on this platform to share a message with each and every one of you and the opportunity and the obligation, if you will, to speak to not only just seniors graduating from high school, but even all those up to senior citizens. And so today I'm asking you, are we ready to endure? Are we ready to take on Thanos and things that are even worse than Thanos in our life? Now, I've always said my life is faith family And Fast Times and everything else is probably just a movie quote. But if anything from Marvel movies to running has taught me anything, is that life is going to hurt. There's going to be pain. There is going to be a Thanos. And we've got to be ready to be active and in war, to battle. And so this morning I'm asking you, are we ready to fight? It's a very simple question that a lot of times comes in the most complex elements of our life. Are we going to quit or are we going to have perseverance? Perseverance comes from two key words, thoroughly and severe. And I can't think of two better words to describe war 
and to describe running. Man, there's days that you all see me out and about, and man, it just comes easy. I'm floating. It's like, man, I could do this all day long. And then there's other days, if I'm completely honest with you, man, it feels like I'm having to run through a brick wall. And that little voice inside my head, is this worth it? Like, why are you doing this? Bradley, you're 41. Like, you could go play an easier sport, like maybe golf. (laughs) Or maybe, like, take up another hobby and start reading a lot more books. Become smarter, Bradley. That would be a lot more less painful. But we come to this moment where, like, what are you going to do? The next scene in that movie is probably more appropriate for this video because, like, right there, man, Captain America is kicking Thanos' butt. But then Thanos kind of gets his second wind, gets his second breath, and man, he just starts ripping havoc at Captain America. And his shield is nearly indestructible. Man, he splits the thing in half, and he jabs him in the leg, and he cuts his arm. He kicks him, and Captain America goes flying. And there's this scene, he just, he's got blood running out of his mouth, and I gotta keep this kind of PG. I got little ones in here. But then he, he takes the, the straps of his shield, and he kind of gets up, and he has this, this decision. Man. Am I going to fold in or am I going to fight? And he takes the, the strap and he straps it down and grimaces because it hurts. And that's where we're at this morning, church. I want you to see a few slides here. This guy is a Lithuanian, Alexander Sorokin. Now, in January, this man ran 100 miles. Listen to me. ran 100 miles in 11 hours and 14 minutes. Now, if you're a math whiz like my, my wife, you've already figured out. He averaged 631 per mile for 100 miles without stopping. Let's all go out and run a mile in 631 and say, you know what? We still got 99 more to go. We've got this. No, that is not happening, is it? Or this person right here, David Goggins. Like, this guy is a celebrity. He had sickle cell anemia, still has it, asthma, heart defects, the whole nine years. This guy was over 300 pounds at one point in his life. And he says this crazy, oh, get out. He said, you know what? I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. Who wakes up and says, you know what? I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. And not only did he accomplish that, he was also an Army Ranger. And if that wasn't enough, the guy retired and got bored. He said, you know what? I'm going to become an ultra marathoner. Anything over 26.2 miles is considered an ultra marathon. He just doesn't do one, doesn't do two. This guy does them nonstop. And if that wasn't enough, he says, you know what? I'm going to break the world record for as many pull-ups you can do in 24 hours. And this guy does 4,030 pull-ups in one hour. And then there's a guy named Brandon Tucker, who I don't have a slide. He says, you know what? I'll one-up him with the pull-ups in 24 hours, ladies and gentlemen. 7,715 pull-ups. Now, ladies, I haven't forgot about you. There's a 46-year-old. I've been watching this and following this lady these past several days. Jackie Rosema. She is from South Africa, and in 2001, she lost half her leg to cancer. But instead of giving up, instead of saying, hey, I don't want to do this anymore. I have no more desire. I'm going to kind of fold up shop. She says, you know what? Give me a prosthetic leg and stand back. And recently, she just completed 104 marathons, 26.2 miles. I'm planning on doing my first one ever this fall, and I'm probably never going to do another one again. But this lady says, you know what? Give me another one. Hold my Gatorade. Watch what I can do. 104 marathons consistently for 104 days. And then there's Christopher Domage. 14 tours of combat within 10 years. Here's the thing, thoroughly severe, maybe the greatest description 
of running in war, but also of our lives. I surveyed the entire congregation this morning. And man, the stories you could tell, the stories that I'm aware of, you don't have to run. You don't have to be in the army to be in the fight your life. So the question remains, what are we going to do this morning? Seniors graduating, senior citizens, anyone in between, what are we going to do when facing the opposition? There was a Navy SEAL who gathered with a a church congregation or with the, the church leaders, and he was talking about what they call Hell Week. I'm reading a book right now. My brother recommended it. Um... And is talking about the, the ownership of being a leader as a Navy SEAL. And he's going through all these different things. And a lot of the book is based around this Hell Week. And Hell Week is basically like they are trying to break you. Every voice inside your head, every voice externally, they are trying to break you down. And I did a little bit of research. Every single year, about a thousand men go in wanting to be Navy SEALs. And only about 200 actually come out. Because at any point, there's this bell that's like basically in the middle of this, this compound, this facility, and you can go ring it. And at that moment, they'll give you uh, medical attention. They'll give you food. A lot of it has to deal with the cold and water. And so they'll give you blankets and they'll take care of you. And you can have all these things that you're desiring. Everything inside of you is wanting so bad. All you got to do is ring that bell. And he talks about the biggest and baddest and most athletic and, and ripped people show up. And man, they're the first ones to drop. Or the ones that are super educated. They've read so many books and they know all the right answers. First one to ring the bell. And out of a thousand, only 200 are left standing. Not ringing that bell. And there was a, a minister within the, the leadership, probably the early childhood minister. And he's like, hey man, maybe still like, I want to think I'm the guy who wouldn't ring the bell. But I got to be honest, I'm probably the guy who's going to ring the bell. So how do I become the guy who doesn't ring the bell? And the Navy SEAL looked at him like he was dumbfounded. Like this guy's very smart, really educated. He's written some books, been in some movies and stuff. And he just looks at the guy like, are you serious? He said, well, number one, you need to know what you're all about. Because for me, I was either going to become a Navy SEAL or I was going to die. Ringing that bell was never an option for me. Now, not all of us are made and equipped and ready to be Navy SEALs. But is there some things today that we can look at to make sure, man, we are not ringing that bell? In the Old Testament, we're introduced to a gentleman named Nehemiah. What you need to know about Nehemiah, Nehemiah was Jewish by heritage, but he's in exile in Babylon, and he's now the cupbearer for the king. Now, the cupbearer, like, we kind of hear that, it's like, man, that's kind of a boring, but man, actually, it's a job that has a lot of perks. One, dude takes, drinks wine all day long. All right. Now, if he drinks the wrong one because it's poison, yeah, game over. I get it. But he's kind of this, this smart uh, connoisseur, this wine taster. Um, I like to think he's that person that you go on the bourbon tour with. And they're like, hey, can you taste the vanilla and the rosemary? And you're like, no, it just burns. This is nasty. But he's that high. And he's right next to the king. So he's got to be entitled to a lot of information, a lot of intel. He's got the Wi-Fi password to the, to the compound or to the palace. He's got the, the perks of being able to go to the pool or go to the spa. And he eats all these fines. Man, this guy's got a lot of comfort that comes with his position. And this is where we pick it up in Nehemiah chapter 1. His brothers come to him and he's giving him some news here. And he says, man, things aren't going well for those that return to the providence of Judea. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem have been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. 
Nehemiah's brother to come face to face with him. Again, the perks, his brother's able to walk in. This guy's out of exile and talk to him. And he's like, hey, brother, what's going on? He's like, man, it's not good back home. Everything's in shambles. Everything is ruined. It's in just a dismay. Man, this hits Nehemiah like a brick wall. Like Jerusalem, our city, our home ground. Like it can't be left like that. What are, what are you talking about? And then Nehemiah does what Nehemiah does. He prays instantly. Oh, Lord God in heaven, the great and awesome God, God who keeps his covenants and fell in love with those who love him and obey his commandments. Listen to my prayers. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people of Israel. I confess we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly, not by obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you have given us through your servant Moses. What's the first thing Nehemiah does when stuff hits the fan, when things aren't going well, when everything is instant? He's looking at Thanos right in front of him. What does he do? He goes to his Lord in heaven. God, listen to me. Have mercy on me. And the first thing he does, he doesn't start pointing fingers, which seems so counterintuitive to our world. But you know what they did? You know what they said? You don't know what I've had thrown on me. You don't know my life. You don't know what I'm about or what I've been through. I don't. But Nehemiah doesn't do that either. The first thing he does is he takes responsibility. Listen, Lord, I know I've messed up. My family and I, we've, we've turned our backs on you. There's a lot of things I've regretted. There's a lot of things I wish I could take back. But I'm coming to you right now. I am confessing the problem starts with me and I need to do something and right then and there Nehemiah gets the blessing of God of saying you need to go and take care of your people and this troubles Nehemiah to the point that even the king the king Alexerxes realizes this hey something's wrong with my God like you need to be on the top of your game you're drinking my wine making sure I can stay alive Nehemiah what's going on And I have to imagine at this point, Nehemiah again has to wrestle around like, could he just say, oh, nothing, it's not your problem. This is never going to work. Like, this is not part of your kingdom. Ah, I don't want to bother you or bug you with this. But I think he kind of just said a really simple prayer. He kind of just went like, God, help me. And he goes to the king And he replied, Nehemiah, I replied, if it pleases the king, and if you're pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judea to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. I want to stop right here for a second. A cupbearer. He's got the indoor pool. He's got the Wi-Fi password. He's got the, the spa just right down the hallway from him. What makes Nehemiah think for a second that he can build a wall? I mean, does this guy have even one callus on his hand? Does he even know how to properly lay one brick, let alone an entire wall and around an entire city? Like, what makes this guy feel like he's qualified to not only do this, but to be victorious in this? Well, now, we're not given those answers to those questions, but what we are told is that the king realizes Nehemiah is for real, and he gives him a blessing. He actually says, okay, you have my blessing, go, and on top of that, you can be the governor of this territory. So now he has more responsibility. 
He has more opportunity, and he's ready to go. So Nehemiah goes, and he starts by surveying the city. He sees the wall is destroyed. The gates have been burnt and tore down. And you've got to understand, this wall, this wall is a physical representation of these people. So if the wall's destroyed and it's crumbled and the gate's been destroyed, the people have been destroyed as well. They're embarrassed. They're broken. These are God's people. And they're sitting on the sideline. They're saying, we quit. We give up. Thoroughly severe, man. That's the story of our life. And we're done. So he surveys the landscape. He gets the measurements. How many bricks are we going to need? How big is this wall going to be? How many days is this going to take? And then what does he do? Man, he starts to recruit some people. I need some people to help me build this wall. I need some people who are sophisticated and smart and know exactly what they're doing. And so he rallies some troops and they start working on this wall. Now, just like your life and my life, once things start going well, what happens, man? We have the worst day ever. Or the critics start to show up. Like, where have they been this whole entire time? Now that we're successful, now that we're starting to build this wall, now that the city has some energy behind it, the critics want to show up. Nehemiah, what, man, what do you think you're doing? You're an outsider. You're a cupbearer. You can't build this wall. This wall has been crumbled and destroyed for X amount of years. Now, why all of a sudden you want to build it? Like, who do you think you are? And as they go along, the critics become a little bit more harsh. You're going to fail. That's cool. Isaac, you graduated high school. Man, you ain't got to make it in college. Man, like, what could I offer the church? I'm in my 70s or 80s. I'm kind of on the tail end of my life. What could I do? What could you do? Is what they're whispering. Man, I'm broken. I'm hurt. Yeah, you are. That's the way you need to stay. And soon the critics and the comments become a real life threat. These people on the outside of the wall, they're not happy because the wall is actually being built. Things are starting to change. Morale is being lifted. The energy is starting to be felt. And these people are no longer sitting on the sideline. They're saying, yeah, we can do this. It's not just Nehemiah and a handful. It's the entire community saying, you know what? We can do this. We can stack this brick on top of this brick and this brick on top of this brick. And you know what? These two guys over here, they can start working on the gate. And once we shut that gate, man, we're protected. We're safe. This is our identity. We've got this. And Nehemiah very quickly gets word that the critics and the comments become a real threat. Word gets to Nehemiah. Hey, man, these guys on the outside... These guys who have been hating on you, they're really upset. And it's no longer words, but these guys are coming with real swords to draw real blood. They're really going to try to take you out. And anyone else trying to help you, this is when we're kind of at our end. Things are going great. I've graduated. I got the promotion. We're getting married. And life hits us right in the face. This isn't a Twitter war. This isn't a nasty message you got on Facebook. These people are drawing real swords to do real damage to real people. This is as real as it gets. What would you do? What would we do, church? <laughs> I was just playing. All right, I'm going home. You guys can have it back. Hey, we actually built some of the wall for you. 
Well, I don't like the way you're talking to me. I don't like the way you're looking at me. That's not very nice. No. Nehemiah has a decision to make, and he needs to make it in a hurry because these guys are on horses coming in with swords and spears ready to do some real damage. So what does Nehemiah do? (laughs) I love it. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall and the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families armed with swords, spears, and bows. Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, do not be afraid of the enemy. Do not be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work on the wall. But from then on, only half my men, again, this is Nehemiah speaking, worked while the other stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of myrrh. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judea who were building the wall. The laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and another hand holding a weapon. All the builders had swords belted to their side. The trumpeters stayed with me to sound the alarm if anything happened. In the 1800s, there was a pastor who started a magazine called The Sword and the Trowel. And it comes directly from this bit of scripture. What are you building and what are you fighting? And we're going to come back to this here in a second. But it gives a perfect image for where the rest of this message and this message today has been going. The question is, what are you building and are you prepared to fight for it? Nehemiah faced all kinds of obstacles and obligations to the people inside the wall and the peoples on outside the wall. Even within our own family, even within our own congregation, we can't all agree, should the blocks be this big or this big, or should we start over here? Start. And so he had to deal with that. He had to deal with real violence on the outside. People were trying to really physically hurt him, kill him, and he handles it all with ease. At night, he has to be shaking his head like, God, okay, this is... This is bigger than me, but man, we've got to get this done. And not only do they build this entire wall around this entire community, but they do it in 52 days. And afterwards, in Nehemiah, it says, you know what they did? They celebrated a feast and it tells them, hey, if you see a friend in need, give them food. Celebrate everyone in this community. Better be having the time of their life because we are now safe. The walls, the gates, everything's restored We are known as God's people. And we look at this and we think about this and we're like, man, that's super cool. But you know what? That's not my life. (laughs) I'm not Nehemiah. I'm not building a wall. That is completely true unless you maybe are building a wall and somebody actually named you Nehemiah. But my question comes down to two words. Where are you building and what are you fighting Is what you're building worth the blood, sweat, and tears that you're given each and every day? And then are you truly willing to fight for that? Are you truly willing to invest and put your life on the line for whatever you're building? Now here in the next few minutes, men in particular, get ready because I'm about to step on toes. That was a pause. Fellas, let me talk to you for a second. And when I say I'm talking to you, I'm also talking to myself. 
We're men of the house. We're men of the church. Are you men of your family? I know too many men that are building a great golf game and a 4OK1, but then they look at their children and they wonder why they're an emotional wreck. And I say us because I'm there. I can run 60 miles a week, no problem, but am I spending 60 minutes a day intentionally with my two kids? We're so focused on building other things that have we lost sight of what matters the most in our lives. For me, I've got the two families, my family at home, the home team, Misty, Elliot, McKenzie, and then I've got a family that's over in the stew. And for the last three years, I've invested every single ounce of energy I could produce to make sure we're presenting the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to work in and on the lives of middle school, high school, and what we call next phase. And at home, man, I'm trying to be a dad. I've, there's days that I pull up and I've got a million things on my mind. And it's like, God, for the next hour, can you help me just be a dad? Can you help me just be a husband? Can you help me be the person I'm supposed to be, that I've been called to be? I used to ask God to make sure Misty knew I loved her. And I stopped praying that a handful of years and started saying, God, help me show her that I love her. So this morning, us men, what are we building I heard a man brag about how much overtime he was working. Man, I'm working so much overtime. That's cool, but at what expense, bro? (laughs) Are you overtiming it with your family? Are they seeing you as much as your coworkers are seeing you? And I know, listen, this can be difficult. It can be hard, man. There's bills. (laughs) There's medical bills, and there's these things, and we just bid this. I get all that. And I'm not anti-fun. I'm not anti-hobby. Tomorrow morning, half of you are going to see me running down the road. In Shelbyville, because I love running. But can I have priorities to make sure that what I'm ready to build and what I'm ready to fight for is this family, is my family? There's a third word I want to introduce, and that's die. (laughs) Nehemiah was ready to die. I'm going to build this wall, or I'm going to die. That Navy SEAL, man, I'm going to be a Navy SEAL or I'm going to die. There was nothing in between. And are we ready to die for what we're building and what we're fighting for? I once heard it said that soft times create soft men. Soft men create hard times. And hard times create hard men. Now, this is 2022, so let's just make this soft times create soft people. And soft people create hard times. And hard times create soft people. The question is, where are we on this chart? And I think it's soft people create hard times. The seniors that are graduating now from high school and college, the eighth graders that are moving up to high school, those that are just becoming newlyweds, those that are trying to start families, those that are trying to start anything within 2022, man, we're in the fight of our lives. I don't know if life can get any more hectic than what it is right now. 
But you better be able to stand on and know flat out, what are we trying to build and are we willing to fight for it? Because there's bigger things than Thanos coming after us each and every day. There is more things that are more painful than just a sword going to be coming at you each and every day. Men, women, young adults, older adults, I don't care the age anymore. Listen, are we ready to battle? This isn't a movie. This is your life. This isn't made up. This is real. There's no sequels. It's this one life. So I'm asking you this morning. I'm challenging you this morning. Man, can you do like a soul search? Can you sit back and say, okay, this really matters to me. Now, am I investing into it? The sword and the trowel. I love what Paul says. Paul says, listen, man, I'm not shadow boxing. (laughs) Shadow box is me just against an invisible and imaginary item here. No, man, I'm fighting. I'm fighting for real. I'm racing for real. He uses the word train, prepare. He says, do you not realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. We're not just in this for giggles. We don't get to pause. We don't get to redo. Run it to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will not fade away. But we, or excuse me, that will fade away. But we do it for an internal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete training to do what it should do. So what did Nehemiah do? As he's preparing for this, man, he prayed. He earnestly prayed. I want to challenge you, go and read the entire book of Nehemiah. This guy is as real as it gets. And I talk about this all the time. Like, we, we always say, like, hey, I'm going to pray for you. I hate saying that. Like someone loses someone, hey, I'm praying for you. Because it sounds like there's nothing else I can do except maybe just pray. And it was like our hands are out. Like, uh, it's like leaking through. This is all I got. Man, that is the most powerful weapon we have. Prayers, communication. There's no four bars or five G's. Like, it's a straight shot to God, the creator of all things. God, listen, stuff's hitting the fan. God, listen, my marriage is at a brink. God, listen, we just got the results and it's cancer. This stuff sucks. Help me. I'm graduating and I'm not ready. Help me. God, you want me to build a wall? I'm a cupbearer. Hello. Pick someone. Oh, no. Help me. He's earnest. He's aggressive. He's in God's face like, God, are you, help me. And then he receives. Because prayer is a two-way street. We might not like the answer, but God is going to answer. And we need to be ready for that. So pray, not as a last option, as the very first thing we can do. God, Help me. Make sure my family is number one priority. God, help me. I'm talking to an age group that they get frustrated in 2.5 seconds and move on to the next thing. And I'm talking about you walking on water. And I've never seen you do that. They've never seen you do that. Give me the words. Better yet, take over and have the Spirit work on them. God, help me.
The next thing is prepare. Prepare is that training. We're not just shadow boxing, man. We're ready to knock someone out in the name of Jesus. But we're ready for life. I'm a big picture type person, so if I ever get the, hey, Bradley, you got cancer. I've always thought about this. Like, how am I going to handle this? I wake up, and now I'm a single parent. How am I going to handle this? I'm getting to the age where I'm starting to lose people. I lost a really good friend on Monday. How am I going to handle this? God, prepare me. Give me the tools. Give me the arsenal. Give me the weapons. Give me the sanity to battle. So church, as the band starts to come out, I've got just one question. What are you fighting for? What are you building? And are you willing to die for that? Man, my two kids, my wife, anything. The 150 kids we have every Wednesday and Sunday night, I'd do anything for them. What are you willing to do? What are you willing to fight? What are you willing to to build in your life? (laughs) Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He has an arsenal at his disposal. He wants nothing more than for you to sit on the side and live a life that's in dismay, that's just crumbling, the gates are broken down. But Satan forgot one thing. We have Jesus, who just like Nehemiah, left the comfort, but left the comfort of heaven, all the comfort being right beside his heavenly father to come down on earth and to what build a kingdom to give us an image a display of who his heavenly father is and what is he's about so he took took the towel and he starts to build and then instead of holding the sword he took on the sword he took on sin satan and death and he annihilated it there's not a thanos there's not a bad guy there's not enough evil that can take on Jesus. What was he willing to fight for? What has he been building since day one? And who did he die for? For every single person in this room, on this planet, every single day. This morning, if you cannot say, you know what, I don't have Jesus in my arsenal. I don't have Jesus being our commander-in-chief, the Captain America of the Avengers. He's the one that says a symbol, and we go, people, I don't know what you're waiting for. You're missing it, big time. And you're probably confused on what to build and what to fight for and like this whole death thing. But I'm telling you, Jesus is real, and he's ready to build, fight, and he has died for every single one of us. So this morning, as I close and the band starts to play, man, I want to invite you, Dave and Jason and Bobby and myself will be here. We're ready. We're ready. And if you're ready to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, don't hesitate. Make that today.
If Dave gets up here and the intro music's Inner Sandbin by Metallica, you know we started a trend here, okay? Could you see that? Lead Pastor Dave. Man, we get so many emails. Let's not do that, okay? In all seriousness, no, what are you building? And we can always use help. What's the first thing that Nehemiah did? He surveyed and then he recruited. Ha, I got you right here now. We can always use help in student ministry. And I get it, middle schoolers, they might smell. High schoolers have attitudes. Who better to work with them? Who better to love them than maybe you? I love older people, and I'm not, I'm not hitting you here. But it's just like, man, I've kind of done my thing, and I'm ready to kind of just relax. You have so much to offer them. Every single kid that walks in there, you know what they want? Attention. And with that tension, they want love. And if you're here for the first time or you've been here longer than anyone else, I know you have those two things that you can offer. But it doesn't take every single person. It takes a handful of unique, called people. So this isn't an open cast of just throwing out and getting whoever can get. I want those who the Holy Spirit is God in a headlock saying, what are you waiting for, man? What are you waiting for? You could do this. These kids could have such a greater understanding of life because of you. And so, man, you feel the Holy Spirit's got you in a headlock. Doesn't matter your age. Doesn't matter, like, I don't know a whole lot about the Bible. Neither do I, but I know Jesus is real, and that's all you need to know to help these young people out. Find me after this service or throughout this week. Let's get that ball rolling. If you're a first-time visitor here, man, there's a wall outside that says, I am new. Make sure you stop by. They've got some really cool faces out there smiling, ready to meet you and greet you and answer any question you may have. And man, we also give you a gift. Like Walmart doesn't even do that when you go meet, you know, they're just like, hey, how you doing? And then you got to actually purchase something. You don't have to purchase anything. We're going to give you something. If you're like, man, I, I, I want to make this decision, but I was scared to walk in front of people. That's cool. We're still going to be around. Do not get in your car, your truck, whatever it is. And have the Holy Spirit saying, we got to go. We got to go. Man, we're something we can build together. 
And it starts in that baptistry. Make sure you find one of us before that happens and you get in your automobile. For the rest of us, man, let's have a great day, great rest of our week. Let's love God, love people, and change the world. We'll see you.